Welcome to the Break the Bias Global Podcast on Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, featuring women and men from different cultures, experiences and professions coming together on thought-provoking episodes to challenge the narrative. Gain insights and get inspired. Powerful topics right here to help you shatter your glass ceiling. Thanks for tuning in. Now, for today's episode. Julian, welcome to today's episode on the Break the Bias Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Love having you here, Julian. I'm so excited because we have been trying to plan this episode between our busy schedules and different time zones for some time now, and I'm so glad we finally made it, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's night here. Is it morning there? You're yes, ahead of me. <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, that's something I love laughing about, you know, I am in the future. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. So today's episode is on culture and creating an inclusive workplace. But before that, let's first introduce you to my listeners. Julian, you are a leading advisor in the applications of NLP, neuroscience, emotional intelligence, and positive psychology, and so many other things. And even just from the conversations that you and I have been having in the past, I think you are an inspiring person, an inspiring human being. And I appreciate your point of view on, you know, just how you see things. And, you know, it, it's so different to status quo and mainstream thinking. Um, so could I please invite you to share your, uh, an introduction of yourself to the global audience listening in today? And also if you could take us on a quick summarized version of the journey that got you to where you are today in life. I mean, I've had the privilege of hearing this story and it's ab- it absolutely inspired me. I would love to open the floor to invite you to do the same for my audience today. Over to you. Well, yeah, sure, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, being a, I'm a licensed NLP practitioner, meaning, you know, I really focus on words, the tones, the micro messaging, you call it, you know, like the subconscious never lies. So I focus on that and really what the subconscious tells ourselves when we, what we say consciously versus what we feel subconsciously. So I focus on that, but um, yeah, I've been in the industry uh, focusing on, focusing on uh, what I call influencers. I help them determine their subconscious so they don't get that cognitive dissonance and find themselves depressed. Like so many people I noticed when I was in the entertainment industry, which I'll say a little bit about that later. But um, being a behavioral science major, focus on NLP and uh, executive coach, I really focus on the terminology, the words, and the way we are being hypnotized by social dogmas and pressures and the newest trends and how we tend to take look for things that make us worry so we find some form of recognition in our in our journeys and so i really help people see that and i use neuroscience as well well and do that so i've been doing that for many years um i had a lot of fun with it i focused on one industry right now so i'm having a good time in that uh but for the most part uh to be completely transparent with you i uh yeah i came from the entertainment industry i grew up in hollywood california uh around a lot of celebrities and then i became a very well-known celebrity talent agent and i focused on placing dancers and actors and singers uh into concerts uh music videos and i was around the the top of the top people and a lot of people knew me as the guy behind the curtain i was well well known by lifting people up and getting them to their brand, if you will, and stardom. So had a good time with that. But like I said, I noticed a lot of strange uh, nuances where depression, suicidal tendencies, the feelings of uh, I'm not worthy, all these things took effect. And I've always been a person to find what you call the micro messaging in the in the streets because I grew up in the hood they call it in in the states uh, bad areas where gang violence was so I learned to pay attention to people's body language at a young age so um, I was very streetwise I guess you would say in the entertainment industry and I I just literally got involved in the neuroscience of it and that put me on the trajectory of working in corporate and working with executives and so that's what I do now and. 
I really have a good time doing it because I do tie in, like you said, my, my history from growing up, you know, being homeless at 15 to uh, living in the streets to being on my own since then and self-therapizing uh, all the traumas I went through uh, to being dysfunctional and suicidal. Um, to really finding my place in the metaphysics and the neuroscience of the mind and spirit. So that's what I do. Did I answer your question? Because I went on a tangent there for a minute. Yes, it did, Julian. Um, you know, the longer version <laughs> yeah. is, uh, well, you, you, I think you did a really uh, awesome job in condensing uh, all that amazing experience. Um, I remember telling you your inspiring journey um, is like a world inside a world. It's, it's, it's so much and so versatile. And I think really that is what makes you stand out for me in my mind is that this, this depth of versatility. Uh, in your experience, just in uh, you know your exposure and what you had to encounter, and um, the type of uh, self uh, remedies that you use and apply, it is the kind of stuff, the real stuff, the good stuff, the transformational stuff that you're really supporting influences within your line of work as well. So, and I am so excited to have you on today's episode because I think it's so fitting to get your thoughts and perspectives on the conversation when we go into the dogmas we're talking about, when we go into these social conditioning pressures we're talking about, uh, you know, because you use the word dogmas and pressures, and that brings me back to today's context, to set the context of today's episode. Um, you know, as you know, uh, we're going to focus on breaking the biases it relates to workplace cultures and creating an inclusive workplace. What does it really look like? What does it feel like? You know, it sounds really cool, right? But if you ask me, Sanala, what? Tell me about the necessity for diversity, equity, and inclusion that's DEI in an organization. I would say that DEI should not just be restricted or limited to a functional responsibility, but I see it being more like a collaborative responsibility across the organization to really make it work. And simply put, like you said, it's addressing these dogmas that people come to work with, whether you're in leadership, whether you're just starting in your journey, right? So in business, we know this is that we work with such a diverse group of people like every day, ranging from clients to customers, partners, various industry stakeholders. And when we look at like a, a modern day business, the people creating and delivering product and service should ideally reflect that diversity, right? Um, and then they say it's important to practice inclusive policies with different voices and the perspectives can be heard. And it's interesting because I came across this statement by an executive that said, when the minority of employees are no longer a minority in the organization, in leadership, in work groups, in you know, stakeholder roles, that is a solid indicator that the company is achieving real diversity and inclusion. I want us to think about that. So on today's episode, I'm hoping that we could talk uh, more about how an organization can tell if it's making a real, uh, you know, concrete progress in its diversity inclusion efforts, and also some of the struggles when it comes to keeping up with the DEI agenda at work. So Julian, I know that you are, uh, you know, executive VP uh, in, a, in a, a very big organization. So also bringing in that corporate um, nuance or that angle to this, um, you know, Julian, what, how would you describe uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? What is diversity, equity, and inclusion in an organization? What's that about? And how do you feel these three themes are connected? Well, you know, I'm, I'm pausing because I would say I'm a little different than the majority. And I say that with all love towards the majority, but diversity inclusion in its definition is a separatist terminology. Because if I want you to focus on my diversity, I want you to notice that I'm different than you. And so I kind of think of it from a standpoint that you and I had a conversation about this. We talked about where I grew up. I grew up in the entertainment. I grew up around Marvin Gaye. He used to come to my house when I was a kid. I grew up around, you know, I grew up in music, Commodores, R&B was my my jam, right? I, I can listen to that music right now and feel something. 
And I think you said too, you remember listening to the Commodores and how you felt because your father and stuff and how you felt something. And we had a connection on that level because we both had those feelings of that, that song, those mu that music brought us joy. And so what I think what's going on in right now is we want to talk about these things, but we get to, as human beings and going from the neuroscience perspective, we tend to look at things from a linear perspective. It's one is it, one and one is two, where we don't look at, well, there's what we call basis points in an in industry where 100 ones make one, not just one. So there's other variables of things that we see, but what we do is we try to simplify it and we try to package it as being truth without looking at the variables. And so the goal for me is to not look at diversity and inclusion as, hey, look, I'm different than you. But the goal for me is to go, what do we have in common and focus strictly on that and ignore everything else? Because out of all things in the world, only thing that is common is the emotions that transcend all cultures. You know, you're in a, a, another world, you're a, a day ahead of me and you know exactly what sadness feels like and so do I. You know exactly what love feels like, what joy feels like, what pain feels like, what loneliness feels like, and so do I. We all have the same exact emotions, and that is what connects us. And when we really think about it, all the other stuff is minutia. It really means absolutely nothing. But if I keep telling you I'm different than you, you need to respect my differences, what happens in human nature is whatever you push, you're going to get the same push back. And so that person is going to say, well, I'm this, so you need to respect my differences. And so both of you are saying, well, respect me, respect me, respect me. You get nowhere. What you do is you get forced narratives and nothing forced lasts. And so the goal is to really focus on how we're the same. And when you can really get to a space where you have what we call a phileo love for someone because there's a common goal, then you can get into, tell me more about where you come from, like how you, you know, how you make your foods to, how you do this? How come you don't shake hands, but you bow? I'm curious where that come from. You know, these are things that we do after we find the commonalities. But if we just focus on the diversity and the push to have to accept it without having a context of who this person is and recognizing that person's me, just like I'm them, we're no different. We just wearing different suits because of where we grew up and our culture. I mean, ironically, people don't realize this, but you know, melanin in the skin protects your organs from the, the ultraviolet rays. So in Africa and in India and in all high heat areas that have low density trees, you would see darker skin because the body adapt to the cultural around it, that, that area, that equator and where they live, they had to develop, the body developed that. In Asia, the overlapping of the eyes because of the sandstorms out there, there's rocks in those sandstorms. And so the body adapted over time, a eyelid that was thicker that would protect the eyes from the storms. The lower your body, the warmer your body is. And so you can see people that are in other climates where they're shorter by nature because they grew up in a cold and climate. African-Americans, a lot of Eastern Indians are tall. The taller your body, the cooler your body stays. Anglo-Saxons, white as you call them, the sun hardly eats, goes over the, the, uh, the horizon. So they didn't need melanin, which is why their skin burns when they sit in the sun very long. But these are just nuances to the fact that we're all the exact same thing in different areas. And if we can put that in perspective and realize we have the same exact feelings, no matter what culture we're from, then that's really where human is. And it's not anything that we can see. It's only what we can feel. So it's a spiritual journey that we've made a very like tangible journey. And it really isn't. It is all spiritual. Mm, that's so interesting. It's a spiritual journey, but we have made it a tangible experience. That's really interesting. Um, you know, Julie, when I think about this, um, you know, I see a point when you talk about the separatist terminology, right? And you said we tend to look at things from a very linear perspective, um, you know, on, on, on these basis points, but there are other, other points to consider. Um, you know, from looking at things from a leadership perspective, you know, if you look at the idea of leadership, you know, it's to drive productivity, uh, retention, 
engagement. So looking at the whole, uh, you know, uh, approach that you're talking about this, you know, not looking at it from a linear perspective, focus on what we have in common. And also I'm thinking focus on where we are actually different, uh, you know, but not necessarily ask that person to, or penalize that person to change, uh, but rather see where this difference can complement and complete each other, right? So I do share your perspective on that. Uh, and it's definitely different to the common, uh, you know, uh, concept of, of, of approach uh, in corporate culture. But here is a challenge I see, right? Because leadership does have this mandate to lead, to guide, to direct, to, uh, you know, how can organizations um, deal with the whole notion that you have to cultivate a culture that values differences, but on the same balance book out of things, you also need a corporate culture that talks about uniformity because of the importance of having compliance, right? For expansion, there has to be that, that sense of alignment. And I think that will be the challenge as well as the opportunity for DEI specialists and also leadership to navigate that border. Because it, I don't see it being like a clear cut straight line you know, so what are your thoughts about that? How can leadership look at the functional, uh, you know, uh, mandates that it ought to be doing and, you know, drive compliance to an extent, like in the large corporations as well. But within that realm, how can they also not fall prey to having this separatist terminology and mindset? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, again, it goes back to leadership has to be status quo, I mean, etiquette is etiquette. You know, if you have a role responsibility, you focus on the role and responsibility within the organization. But at the same time, when you have the opportunity, it should always be, um, I should be willing to na navigate away from business and focus on the person. At least, I, which is interesting, I do, like I said, have a very different leadership style and it's starting to bleed over and other leaders, they're seeing it because I will spend 60% of my time talking to the person about everything but business and 40% will be about business. And sometimes I'll have a call that's for business and I'll completely deviate because business takes care of itself for the most part. And when you make the world negative and a stress, then we become less rational. We become more black and white. We become more rigid. And so making light of things and being able to laugh at things, being able to have personal conversations about a person in their days, their weeks, you learn more about a person's culture by finding out what they did over the weekend than you do about asking about their culture. You know, So you can learn more about a person's diversity and thoughts by how they spend their time outside of work versus what they do in work. And so having those conversations, you're you're including them, you're embracing them, and you're giving them a voice to speak without any judgment, without and just being curious. And then once you do that, that raises the dopamine levels in their brain where they want to do more for you. And then that's when you get them to say, okay, I'm glad we had a great conversation. I learned a lot about you. Uh, here's some things I want to talk about when it comes to what we got to get done by the end of the week. And they're much more open to doing that because now they have this connection. They feel like they were able to be like a child, came home and shared their 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 drawing with you, you know, and it's like it excites them that, that somebody listened to their story without this facial expression of why would you do that, you know? Um, and really showing, you know, uh, appreciation towards that. One of my leaders went to a gay pride uh, uh, event with one of his peers, uh, one of his, his employees, and he had never been to something like that in his entire life. And he went with a curiosity mind and just opened his mind up. And he was extremely uncomfortable, but his coworker was so appreciative because he was like, you know what? I am so happy you were willing to see my world and just get to know my world and I just thank you for it and he has a dedicated employee because of it and I think that's really what it is it's not about the words we ask it's not about saying hey I I'm, I see you for who you are and then treat you like um like you don't exist you know and I think it has really more to do with treating people as people and diversity works itself out through that
I love what you said, even about the curiosity, um, you know, and that kind of triggered my thought around, the, you know, how vital it is not only to have critical thinking, but also to have that curiosity as a workplace virtue, because that drives everything from innovation to, uh, you know, just um, ideation, growth, right, embracing and then DEI. And, um, you know, I also want to say that I appreciate that we do have human beings like you, uh, you know, in these mainstream systems that are disrupting that typical traditional school of thought because, you know, we need to also be mindful about um, the side effects or the bad effects, the negative effects and, and hurts uh, as it relates to tradition. And there's also the good, but what can we take that is good from traditional and generational thinking and how can we be curious enough to change that and disrupt that so that it's more beneficial for a larger audience. So I, I really like your share. Thank you for that. Um, Julian, I wonder if we can go a little bit deeper on the dealing with the bias piece, because as you know, the central theme across this global DEI show uh, is on breaking the bias. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to experts in innovation. I've spoken to experts in, you know, who've been with the White House. I've spoken to all these different people. And it's interesting. I'm curious to hear from you. Uh, you know, when we talk about bias, I mean, you know, one of the greatest leadership lessons that I had to personally learn in my journey um, was facing, you know, really being able to work with somebody despite a personal bias I had towards them. You know, and navigating such situations, being curious enough, uh, you know, to learn more about them. And I love what you said about, you know, have conversations, asking them about what they do outside of work, not just paying attention to what they do inside of work and that, you know, how that boosts morale. I love that. Can you share with us an experience that you had where you encountered a situation where someone had bias against you? or the other way around and how you navigated that? Well, that's an easy one because I'm African-American, but I look Hispanic. And so in the US, <laughs> I get people speaking Spanish to me all the time. And when they find out <laughs> I'm not Spanish, <laughs> they get offended by the fact that I'm not, you know? So um, I would tell you that, you know, you, you know, it's breaking bias. I mean, the concept of breaking bias really starts with, you don't break it by, telling by forcing people like i said you, no one ever crossed the picket line and said you know you've changed my mind i think i'm a step to the other side you know whenever you fight something you become the fight so the goal is really to be an example of what breaking bias looks like that's the only thing you can do and so make change because people emulate that which their environment is and so people will mimic the environment so for me, every time I feel there's some kind of judgment and I'm around a bunch of, um, and I call them Anglo-Saxon because white is is not really the, um, you know, it's Caucasoid really. It's like, you know, it's like really that's the scientific term. But, you know, when you say white, it could be Irish, it could be German, it could be, you know, it can be so many different things, but there is no such thing as white. It's like as soon as slavery was abolished, all of a sudden you're either white or black, and which is really a misnomer because everyone's from a different place, which makes the culture. But for me, I face bias all the time. But what I do is I recognize that, you know, everyone has a a filter, a dogma. They grew up a certain way and they have natural impulses. Now, people are not responsible for their first impulse. And this is where I get in trouble. And you might find this where I get in trouble a lot, by the way, in this. And I've said this on other podcasts. People are not responsible for their first initial impulse. We're only because we're animalistic by nature. We live by instinct. We've grown up with a certain bias, dogmas. I like SUVs, you might like sports cars, and I might see you in a sports car and go, ooh, I don't like sports cars. That doesn't mean I don't like you. I just have a certain dogma because of the way I grew up. But my secondary reaction is my responsibility. So if I continue that action, or if I don't pause and take recognition of where that thought came from, then that's where my secondary action gets me in trouble. So what I try to do when I experience bias I first don't react to it. I first recognize that I'm not them. I don't know their mother or their father. I didn't grow up like them. And I just, I give them what I call grace. And I ask them questions about them. Because when I ask questions about them, I break the bias because I'm not reacting to 
I would say 99% of the people react to. When other people feel bias against them, they will mimic it. It's like if I was with you right now and I told you to put your hand up and I push your hand, by nature, you start pushing my hand back. And I never asked you to push my hand, but because you feel me push, by first impulse, you push back. And that's human nature. So the goal is to break bias. The only way you can do it is first break it within yourself. You don't fight it. And I'll give you a good example. I was a coach. I got hired on by a major uh, company and there was a, the president of the company was being, uh, there was a lawsuit against him for, um, for racism. So I went in there and I was there for two weeks and I didn't see any racist bone in this guy's body, but the African-American guy that was claiming that he had racism against him um, had a strong suit because he had uh, certain gestures, body language. Uh, he never looked him in the eye, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So, and I'm like, I don't, after hearing his story, how he grew up and everything, I couldn't see it. Now here's what's crazy. I was about to leave the contract and I felt like I, I didn't do a good job. And I went to lunch with him and he got a text from his ex-wife with a picture of his ex-wife, his daughter, and her new boyfriend that asked her to marry him um, maybe four months prior. And so I saw his look on his, at his phone and it was the same looks that supposedly he was giving to this African-American guy. So I said, hey, can I see the picture? And ironically, the African-American, the, the ex-wife was marrying an African-American guy who kind of looked similar to the employee. So it wasn't he was racist, but there was a subconscious trigger that happened with him when he saw him. It reminded him of the man that is now with his ex-wife and with his daughter. And so his micro-messaging was coming across as racist, and it actually wasn't. And so it was a human response to a subconscious trigger. And when I brought that up to his attention, he became aware of it. And he was able to change his behaviors because his focus was different when the person walked in the room. And when he shared it with the African-American guy, the African-American was like, oh, dude, if I had only knew, oh my gosh, man, I can help you with that. You know, and so he let me share. And it opened up a whole dialogue and it just, they became friends. But that's what I mean by bias is not just, it's not linear, it's much deeper. And if we were to not react to it and be curious about where it came from, what you do is you get people to be curious in you and it changes the narrative. And that's really the key is, and I've done it several times in my experience. And that's just one example of how it works. And I also hear you, you know, sort of emphasizing the importance for communication, because in, in a lot of these examples that you've been sharing, it takes one to communicate, you know, and, um, you know, that sort of, um, makes the conversation a little bit more holistic. You know, when you communicate, it's not just about going there with a preconceived opinion. Maybe you go in there with that, but then you communicate and then it opens up optimal possibilities. Uh, yeah, I better, I, let me interject something real quick. Here's where we get lost. As humans, we, are, we get offended very easily. And that's one thing I try to help people understand. There's no reason to be offended by other people's actions. What you're doing is you're giving other people power over you. Imagine that. You get offended by watching a certain politician on the news or you know what's happening in the world that you can't change and what you're doing is you're adding frustration to yourself and what you do is you bring that frustration on to your relationship and to your environment understanding that no one has power over you no one is doing anything to you even though society is kind of pushing that narrative it isn't true it's it's a false narrative it's you having power in yourself and realizing if i am a short man and i go around a bunch of tall men and i feel they're judging me because i'm short that's me not them because if they are judging me i really don't know and i can never really know so i'm giving myself a false uh, hill to fight that's not there because I choose to. And when you say, you know what, I choose not to fight that and not to make that my narrative and just be curious in them, you'll find that it's a lot different than what we think it is. But the narrative is bigger than what we have it now. It's really about being engaged and you're being comfortable in yourself first and realizing you're not gonna please everybody. You're not gonna, somebody's gonna give you a side eye in your life and it's okay. 
But my goal is to not give people side eyes so I can be an example of those around me. That is all I can do and not try to, you know, um, focus on the wrongs but focus on how the rights are within my space. And that's it. And my old, one of my pastors I knew a long time ago said something I, I've always thought was pretty interesting. He goes, the world is going to a hell in a handbasket because everybody's looking at their neighbor going, you've done this wrong. But if everyone was to just focus on their own house, then every house would be fine. But instead we've conditioned ourselves to look out the window and point the finger at those houses in the neighborhood and go, what a mess they have going on over there. And that's the problem. So we can't change people. All we can do is change how we react to them. Oh my goodness, yes. Um, <laughs> that example you shared, even uh, uh, with your pastors, that, you know, uh, we tend to think, oh, we are holier than thou, this sense of self righteousness, because we're all striving, we're all aspiring, uh, you know, to do more than just survive on earth, right? Uh, and make sense of it all. So, uh, also, Julian, I want to go into what you said the false narratives, getting offended. So, my question to you is this, um, you know, I've always asked myself, that my thoughts influence the way I feel, right? I mean, in a generic sense as well, thoughts influence the way we feel and then feelings drive these thoughts. So my question is, do we first think or do we first feel? How does this system work? We, I, you know, it's interesting to say that we feel first because our feelings based on our subconscious. Our subconscious is a whisper in our conscious. So our subconscious is kind of a feminine in our in our brain and our conscious is our masculine so the conscious subconscious is non-biased it has no concept of what's right or wrong but any feeling you feel it's going to give you everything of it so understanding that your feelings are going to if i walk into a room i'm going to feel cold and i'm going to start thinking man it's cold in here but if i walk into the room and the person that is in the room that i don't like I'm going to feel like they put it, made it cold on purpose, <laughs> you know? So it's like, there's this feeling first and then your brain will run towards the feelings that you are subconsciously already invoking in yourself. And that's why it's important to know thyself. That's why it's important to understand your own psyche. And that's where, you know, I was telling you how I self-therapize. I had to learn why I was so self-destructive. Why I was suicidal? Why is it that I was doing so well in the entertainment industry and yet I was miserable? It's because my subconscious was whispering all these things to me and my feelings were driving my behaviors. Even though I rationalized it through the logical conscious mind and I blamed everybody else, it was my subconscious that was doing it to me because I got used to a certain feeling and I look for ways to make that feeling true every day of my life. And so I tell people continuously, be, be in control of your feelings. Don't snuff them, but be in control of them. Know why they're there. That way you don't react and become reactive and then have regret. You know, it's all about chemical hormones too. I mean, from going back to the business world, you know, that's what's happening in our industry with, with employees too. The feeling of not having like they have any control or there's no progress in their life or they have no feeling of uh, empathy or ability or trust in their company or that they're going to lose their job these create a feeling which makes you animalistic where you know it's fight or flight where you're going to just survive and you say and feel and do things that are disgruntled and bad and i think that's a lot of problems we have is it doesn't start with diversity and inclusion it starts with the leadership from all other levels of engagement um you know are they helping people feel like they have some control they have trust and they have progress in their roles and they can get to the next level where they feel secure in what they're doing and have some joy this starts there and then we'll find reasons to make other problems which could be diversity and inclusion I love that, um, you know, and also one of the things that I always, always remind clients or people I speak to is the self-awareness piece that you touched on. That's such a huge piece because you can't regulate what you don't know. So it starts with having that self-awareness um, and, you know, responding and not reacting. Um, Julian, I do want to go back to the, you know, uh, the conversation we had just before this point. Uh, you know, you mentioned something really key here. You said when you fight something, you become the fight. And, uh, you know, you're such an interesting non-stereotype because you're using your African-American, you look Hispanic. Oh my goodness, my friend. <laughs> Where do we begin with that? <laughs> and you also touched on, uh, you know, the natural impulses, 
And he said, but people are not responsible for their initial impulse because of dogmas, uh, you know, and also because of the way they grew up. Uh, but the secondary reaction is my responsibility. Now, I thought that that's just incredibly powerful stuff right there, you know, and having that ability to just recognize the bias. So my question is this, can you give our audience today some neuroscience tips or NLP tips to stop this autopilot from working constantly? Oh my goodness, because it's human nature. So what are some good tips you can give us to really <laughs> arrest the autopilot from working and take a pause and move into the secondary reaction and take responsibility for that to really deal with this bias? Because it comes up. It's it's real stuff, right? So keep yeah, it's real right. stuff. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, so for, you know, the, the world, that's why I do this thing called no so 24. Like I'll go 24 hours without watching TV or news or have my phone or radio i don't listen to anything to quiet the brain because the subconscious is taking four billion bits of information per second and every word is non-biased so if i listen to a song that says i'm hurting um just my life is sucks it could be a great tune but if i'm saying that out loud or if i hear it out loud my brain is taking it in as being true this is why when i jog in the morning and i see people saying good morning my brain says good morning to me I, it makes me feel good so subconscious is picking up every little nuance and what we're forgetting is that we have a lot of news out there and a lot of words and whenever we feel like we're against the wall like COVID, you couldn't go out you can't do this can't do that you're feeling a loss of control uh, you're feeling worried because the people are dying and all these people are, you know, sick and there's no room, you know, and the government's doing this or that. Anytime you feel defensive, even if people disagree with you uh, and you feel like they're threatening your, your belief system, uh, if you get angry, if you're feeling sad, what happens is you, your body, the endorphins just kick in and it takes the heart, uh, takes the blood away from the heart and goes to the muscles and it literally weakens the immune system because it's a temporal thing it's supposed to happen if you have a lion in front of you but our ego states now with uh, like say facebook and twitters and if we don't get enough likes it's the same exact feeling of a lion chasing you and it, what it does is it weakens the immune system inhibits the blood cells contributes to weight gain and heart attack and it's been known to actually help uh, build um uh, weaken the the brain so you have a lot of people have parkinson's they find people with high cholesterol uh, cortisol i mean lose uh, are high in, in, in uh, parkinson's disease so this is why it's important for us to realize when we are feeling stressed we have to ask ourselves why am i stressing over this what do i have control over what don't i have control over what can i do today to control what i have control over and what do i need to relinquish and give away because i'm never going to be able to control that anyway and when we do that it changes the narrative and I think we, what we are doing in our society right now is we're reacting to everything and not really counting the cost of that. And so that's what I say we should do. And actually not even getting more into it. Uh, the hippocampus, you know, it really is that part of our brain that's for our learning and memory and our mood. And that is where production of dopamine lies. And so uh, it promotes new neurons for our body to have new ways of thinking. And it produces over 700 new neurons a day. And every time we wake up, we have new ways of thinking, but we don't attract it. What we do is we go back to the same behaviors. And so my goal is to get people to realize the power they have in changing their thinking and not just reacting because with dopamine, um, which is really just being grateful, wise, you know, hopeful, appreciative, all those things that like meditation teaches, uh, it literally, you know, creates a, a healthy immune system and improves concentration and memory and motor skills. And so. That's why I, it's really important that we understand that you take control over your own thoughts. And whenever you're offended by somebody, you have to have a conversation with yourself. So one of my tricks that I've done for myself and I've done with some of my clients, and it's, a, it's kind of an NLP process where you actually take what you feel, you find out where the first memory comes from. Like if you feel disrespected, you know, where was the first time you felt disrespected? It might be with your parents where you said, mommy, mommy, let me show you something. And she embarrassed you in front of your, your siblings or your, your cousins or family. And she said, go to your room or something. And you felt like you couldn't have a voice. So a lot of people that I work with, their bosses cut them off and they feel disrespected. So now you have this one moment where your childhood moment and you have one with your boss. Is your boss your child, your parent? No. Okay, so what did it feel like? What did it smell like? What did it 
if you could grab the air in the room, what did it what did it feel like? What was color of the room? What was you know you visualize it, and then I say give it a name. Like what would you name that experience? For me, I named my experience perception. And so every time I feel like um, I'm just using this as a scenario, every time I feel disrespected, I say ah thanks perception, you just showed up again. I thank you for showing up. In the past, you protected me, but I don't need you today. You can move on. And I let it go and I keep walking. That way I am literally controlling. It's almost like you're inviting it in saying, thanks for being here. I remember you, you were there and helped me when I was younger. I don't need you today, you can leave. And when you do that, you're able to literally walk yourself backwards versus reacting to life. I just gave you something I charge a lot of money for, so I won't charge you. We are so lucky. Thank you, Julian Sadeo. <laughs> We are so lucky to have you on the show and also to have that power tip, which you charge a lot for. So we are grateful for that and show my audience as well. Um, and I think it's really powerful stuff. And I kind of also sort of feel that undertone, which is sort of reiterating the necessity for self-love, like you said, self-therapizing and also uh, self-nurturing, that nurturing, uh, nurturing quality. Uh, you know, self-patience, all of that. Oh, I love that. I love that tip. Thank you for that. So as we, we are almost done with the episode today, as we come to the last segment um, on really taking DEI into action, because we are going to be drawing a lot of interest from different types of audiences from around the world, across the board. We're going to be having CEOs tuning in. We're going to have, you know, people in various levels, uh, you know, aspiring leaders. We're going to have, uh, you know, people who are uh, new to careers listening in because they're looking uh, you know, maybe these are, uh, you know, women and men applying for different types of careers. So in closing, you know, as we wrap this up, this episode, um, I came across this very interesting statement. It said diversity is what exists and inclusion is what must be done to embrace the existence of diversity. And I want us to pause there and just really reflect on that. And I thought, oh, wow, that is powerful because diversity isn't how that's look around, right? So uh, while many businesses have expressed their commitment to DEI, as we know, I think measurement, it, it, it all comes down to measurement or, or else it's just talk. And, you know, Julian and I, throughout this episode, you know, he's been reiterating, uh, you know, ways we can sort of look at this in a, in a big picture frame. And then, you know, I think, sort of giving the context to sort of draw the business case and the importance of human case to really look at the EI, you know, it, it, it's common sense, you know, it's a no-brainer. We, we need to embrace diversity around us um, in the marketplace, in our households, in our society. So when we think about, um, you know, some of the ways an organization can really gauge their diversity and inclusion efforts, you know, some of these thoughts would include, um, Number one, evaluating whether diversity and inclusion is handled as a continuous process, right? So it's not a one-time thing. It's not a, a you know seminar that happens once a year. It's a continuous process. Do our employees feel that safety you were talking about, Julia? The trust comes with feeling safe, right? And also, are they actually benefiting from these efforts put forward by the company? Number two, uh, you know, the company needs to gauge whether they're having regular reviews uh, to gauge the, you know, the progress made as it relates to DNI. For example, uh, you know, go back to all the meeting minutes taken at the CI conversations and really see the difference between uh, the action taken versus the action plan to be taken. So do those regular audits. Uh, you know, audit the type of DEI efforts that have been implemented for the quarter. You can do it quarterly, keep a track on those actionable targets and the plan versus the achieved, you know, and within those deadlines, it's another one. Um, and also, one more from me, and then I'm going to open it up to Julian because that, Julian, I do want to get your thoughts on this end point as well. The final tip for me would be, uh, you know, another aspect to gauge is to see whether the organization has a diverse group of decision makers across the organization because honestly, leadership has a very big automatic influence in how the organization is governed. We think about corporate governance, we think about corporate culture, you know, so leadership has a big role to play, a lot of influence, right? Inherited influence. So diversity and inclusion requires a commitment from every leader. So if the company does not reflect diversity within its board, that's why, you know, even as a matter of public global, Julian, we're talking about board diversity. We're talking about, you know, filling that pipeline, the midsection of corporations where a lot of women 
have an equal ratio to men uh, at entry-level positions, but then you see the pipeline, you see women disappearing at the mid-tier sections before they even reach level two, you know? So looking at board diversity, leadership team diversity, um, not just gender, but, you know, when we talk about diversity, it's a bigger, bigger space to talk about, you know, uh, and then cascading that down to the managers, the line managers, and the rest of the organization. Uh, so diversity needs to be reflected within decision-making processes as well. So we're going to stop there. Julian, what are your thoughts you'd like to add to this? Well, I do believe that. I think one of the things that we that I've been implementing, and it's really hard for leaders to do because, and I'm going to say this to any leader that's on your podcast on this show, look, you're, you're a human first. Your role, your title is third and fourth dairy has nothing to do with anything. So relinquishing your title is to be your first priority. You are not a, a VP. You are not a, a executive. You are, uh, you know, you should say something, you should change your title to, I help people in whatever industry you're in who want to by providing fill in the blanks, especially now when fill in the blanks, because I am known for fill in the blanks, but they should all be action items about being human, not your title. And I think that's what people forget is that we put a lot of weight on our imagery of what we're presenting. It's like we dress up for to impress. We also have a title and we act out our title. It's the ego state. And what we're finding now in the culture of the world is shifting. Trust is leaving people in authority. It's now people are listening to the people in the front line more so than they're listening to you as a leader. So third-party validation to anything you want to get across. And who is your third-party validation? The person in the front line that people are listening to. So yeah, you should bring frontline people into your meetings, ask them ideas, and but don't chuckle. Be very cognizant of your facial expressions. Don't judge the way they say it. Listen for what their ideas are, not the way they presented it. I've seen more people lose millions of dollars as a company because a frontline employee had an idea but they can't you know they're just a frontline guy who just started and they're like hey how come we just don't do this you know there's a great story in new york in uh in the u.s um where a, a big truck went under a bridge and got stuck and they had engineers come out they blocked the roads for hours and you know they had the police there the fire department because of gas lines nearby ridiculous a kid drives on a bike saying asked a cop what happened and the cops trying to push him away get away kids dangerous and he's like no just i want to know what happened the cop said look there's a truck stuck under the bridge we're trying to move it every time we move it the bridge weakens it can just collapse and create a major problem for a roadway he goes well, won't you just take the air out of the tires and the cop was like oh that's a good idea you know it's like the engineers didn't think to the simplicity of what it was going on. They looked at all the engineering training they had and the firefighters looking at the training they had. But this kid came in and saw it from a different perspective. And if leaders could understand that, that's inclusion. In, in implementing or trying and putting money aside to lose for the purpose of experimenting is what builds trust. Companies and leaders are so worried about making sure they look good, they'll spend more money on the presentation and not even know if it works or not, because their goal is to make sure they impress their peers with how much they thought through it, but never really implemented or tried it. So getting frontline involved is one of the best things to do for a company, especially now when everybody's looking to have their own side hustle anyway. So how can I have my side hustle in my hustle? And that's what you want to do. Let them be a consultant for you. And you won't need to hire people like me. You can actually leverage the people that are in the front lines. And that's inclusion. I love that. Um, and also, I love that you said relinquish the title, the ego state. Um, and you said change your title to, I help people in, fill in the blank, who want to. Could you repeat that? I thought that was really awesome. I really want to uh, have you all. Yeah, let me know. Uh, let's see what I say. I say. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think I, I help people in, so if you're whatever industry you're in, I help people in that industry who want whatever your your industry provides. And what do you do in that industry? By providing, you know, uh, leadership to my team, especially now when, you know, they're looking to implement ideas because I'm known for empowering my my employees and the people in my team. I wouldn't call them employees either, my, my peers to uh, get to the next level in their own personal journeys or something like that. But that's really what we are. You know, we're not there to keep telling people I'm your boss or I'm the VP. We're here to inspire people to wanna be 
everything they can be. And if they can do that in your company, then your company thrives. But if you belittle, uh, discredit, and push people aside or don't engage in the things that they bring to the table, you're having people working for a paycheck and your company is going to suffer for that. Your customers are going to see that and that becomes your brand. And, you know, it's like, I can tell you there's several companies, I can't name them now because I, it'd be kind of rude, but there's a couple of them I worked for that were terrible at this and they spent more money you know, turning and burning employees and they do really thriving is because they don't get it. And, um, you know, and I walk away because I'm like, I'm not going to waste my time if you don't want to learn. You know, this is a, like I said, in the beginning of this conversation, this is a spiritual journey and has more to do with self than has to do with all the other people around you. And if you can figure that out, uh, all other things fall into place. Love that. Um, Absolutely. So in closing, um, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody connecting today, I know that you've heard the statement around it's a, it's a very interesting quote, uh, you know, quoted when you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and that is diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice and belonging is having that voice be heard. So thank you so much, much, Julian, for joining us today on the Global Podcast Show on Break the Bias. It's been an absolute joy and learning experience, a meaningful experience. You held our hand today throughout the episode. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So everyone, today's episode, if you want to get connected, it's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Just hop over to www.womenempowerglobal.com forward slash podcast, and then you're going to have access to all the episodes. So we look forward to have you listen in on the next episodes as well. And, uh, you know, you've heard from Julian and, you know, golden nuggets just, just here, right here. And take it, share it with your friends, share it with your peers, your colleagues, and even your leadership. Uh, you know, and be the vehicle that makes that change, be the change you want to see. So that really is the message that I want to leave you with personally as well. With love, with light, uh, you know, we wish you a wonderful rest of the week, everyone. Stay safe, stay blessed. Bye, everyone. This podcast was initiated by Women Empowered Global, a global organization that empowers women through education, career advancement and entrepreneurial programs with a network reach in over 40 countries across six continents. To learn more, visit www.womenempoweredglobal.com. See you on the next episode.